Welcome to the DTCX podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Lucas Walker. Joining me today is Nathan Tone. He is the founder and CEO of Work. They are a call center that you can outsource your e-commerce brand to. They work with brands like Supergoop, Unbound Merino, who I'm wearing right now. Shout out Dan Dembski if you're listening. And uh, over a hundred other e-commerce brands, which is such an amazing feat in and of itself, but we're not talking about how to grow your service-based business. We're talking about how to grow your e-commerce business the way that some of these have going from solopreneur handling a few hundred orders per month, all the way up to businesses handling five to 10,000 orders a month. And we're going to talk about some of the ways that you can keep customer support and strategies in-house, what you should outsource and how to ultimately give the best experiences to your customer, reduce your losses and drive your revenues as well. Nathan, welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to chat with you. So I would love to jump into it uh, a little bit more because I think that buzzwords like flexible or, or outsource partner, they can be thrown around a lot. But what do these really mean as you look to start outsourcing your, your customer support? And you call it customer support, customer success. How do you address it? Why don't you explain a little bit more about what work is to the, the entrepreneurs and the founders who are listening? Yeah, uh, work is a world-class customer service organization at a click. We think that it should be easier for online brands that care about their customers, care about the quality of their products, to be able to have a customer service organization that honors that commitment to quality, that honors the brand, but which also flexes a bit more like a software product. I started work six years ago because I was the CEO of a consumer company and didn't like the options out there. I didn't want to build this whole team myself, do all the hiring, training, managing, and on and on and on. Um, and then the other options were more like traditional call centers, beige, gray, cubicle farms, dystopian places yeah. that couldn't really honor the what made my brand special. So we built work to Just couple the humanity things. and expertise of an in-house team with the flex of a software product. I love that. And that's how a lot of e-commerce brands think that have seen that software-like growth, especially in the past few years. So the first thing that we're, we wrote down that we would talk about is why... Why to outsource versus keeping it in-house? And it's a very intimate thing. You have this relationship with people who have paid you money and oftentimes they're not in the greatest mood. So it is a very intimate, personal experience. And the first thing they wrote down was seeking leverage, especially versus smaller businesses versus larger businesses. What does that mean really seeking leverage? And how can brands really identify when they might have that opportunity? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so in thinking about whether to outsource or to keep support as something you do in-house. I think the, the theme, regardless of the size of the business, is in seeking leverage for you as a business owner and for your business, especially if you're indexing towards growth. And exactly what those dynamics are, are going to depend on where you're at as a business. So starting at the beginning as like, let's say, solopreneur, you're doing you know zero to a thousand orders per month. Your two choices there are and I know this very well because I did it myself for a long time and way too long. I did it too with my businesses. You you answer the support calls your, yourself and it's as hard as a founder because it's so personal. This is a product that you made. Sometimes you even shipped it out to them. So you yeah. know what you put in it and maybe you remember that exact order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's running a business is no fun and that should just be a, a given. But what I found as an entrepreneur or as a founder doing support myself was 
I could have 99 happy customers and one really angry customer. And I would lose sleep for weeks just thinking that I was like the biggest failure there is. And so just, you know, not only getting the mental relief of being able to not have to do all of the support yourself, but in, in really making sure that you're spending your time on high leverage tasks, is it the best use of your time to be processing refunds for two hours a day? Or could you get some assistance for that so that you can focus on product marketing, et cetera? Additionally, if you're mm. a founder doing the support yourself, you're kind of like going to be inventing things on the fly. Maybe you get one customer and you do a <laughs> refund policy this way, then you get the next one and you do it completely the other way. And it makes sense in your- Or you world. don't have a policy because for you, keeping people happy is the most important thing. So you say, yeah, they want a refund. Just, yeah. 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 Just, yeah, of course I want a refund too, but it's also yeah. painful because it's, that's quite literally money out of your pocket if you're a solopreneur. For sure. And if you don't have a system, you can't optimize the system. So what I would say is find the right partner and engage a system so that you can get the best without having to build it yourself. You don't have to do it yourself so you can focus on high leverage things. Suddenly you have something that you can optimize and scale rather than just like stay up later every night. Yeah, that's that's huge. So then as we talk about, and you make such a good point of really low leverage tasks, it's everything that you can do that, that takes away time from the things that only you as a CEO can do. And it could even be going and, and flying to see your factories or your warehouses to make sure that that, oper that those operations are, are running. It takes away from that. It's just not the best use of, of your time and for your business. So as we talk about growing brands and really the sort of the established businesses that we've talked about, what are some of those systems that they should be looking for and just some of the things that they might not be considering that they might get blindsided by? Maybe their, their sonar is not picking it up. Yeah. I mean, to the theme of the ongoing theme of, of seeking leverage, let's say you're at the next phase of the business where you're now doing like five to 10,000 orders per month and you're deciding whether you know, you definitely have too many customer conversations per month to be doing it all yourself. So you're deciding, should I hire my first person? Should I build out a team or should I find a, the right partner to use? The thing at that phase is that if you decide to build the whole team in-house, the question is, are you really going to get leverage in that to make one hire, you're first going to have to do all of the sourcing, the hiring, then you're going to have to train this person. You're going to have to manage their schedule. You're going to have to do the redundancy planning. You're going to have to have performance management and then uh, make sure they have a career path. And so suddenly, instead of doing all of the tickets, you're just spending that same amount of time managing this one person. And additionally, you've introduced or key person vulnerability in that what happens now when they decide to take another job. So what we found to be really successful for enabling brands to grow unburdened is to make sure that the partnership is in place that is a system rather than a person rather mm -hmm. than engaging one specific person and doing all of the work to maintain that one person, find the system, and then you get with the right partner in place, you can get the consistency, voice, expertise of that in-house hire, plus the resilience and leverage of that full-blown operation. So it's, it's kind of mm -hmm. finding those unlocks that allow you to act like a company 10X your size for basically the same price. 
And I mean, realistically, if you're bringing on one person sort of full time, they're going to have a lot of downtime as well as time where maybe they're just swamped and crushed. So, and I didn't even think of redundancy planning of, well, what happens if this person wants to take a vacation? Who's going to cover them? And unless you can really keep sort of three people employed full time, you're always going to be dealing with with those headaches, which just sets you back a little bit. So let's talk about scaling brand because you, you wrote in a lot of great notes there as well of just really scaling with a click rather than, than stopping what you're, mm-hmm. you're doing. What are some of the trends that you see scaling brands present with their, their customer support, whether it's something that, that you collaborate with or that they all seem to, to come when they're, they're doing their onboarding and saying, yep, this is how we like to do it. What are some of those trends that you see all scaling businesses have? Yeah. So, I mean, when, once you're, you're at scale and you've solved a lot of the, the one-on-one things, particular to the customer support space, there's there's this kind of like key cognitive dissonance within quickly growing organizations where when the marketing team and sales departments are celebrating because like they have this campaign that's like rocking it or they've closed this big new partnership with like in-store and Walmart or something like that and orders are going to 10x, one side mm-hmm. of the business is celebrating and then the customer service and operations teams are like crying cringing in an anticipation of the onslaught of the work to follow. So what we see oftentimes and not all the time, but when growth is fast, organizations who are trying to do it themselves are really just trying to keep their heads above water. They have this long product roadmap for customer support of things that they wish they could do. Maybe that's stuff like rolling chat or rolling phone or building in a loyalty program or really acting finally on those negative CSAT reports and and tying that back to product development. But these things always stay on the roadmap because all of the management's time is instead in making sure we have enough people in the seats, making sure they're trained, making sure there's redundancy and making sure, you know, then once you get it done for summer, you have to suddenly turn around and 3x the size of the team in anticipation of the holiday rush. And then at the end of the holidays, you need to spend your time offboarding these people. So I would say that if you can find the right partner that makes scaling easier, where building your team is as easy as clicking some buttons, scaling down the team is built into the model and remove that dissonance between demand and supply, you're just going to be able to grow that much faster because the burden of growth is is lower. Yeah. And that makes so much sense with e-commerce and really consumer goods being so seasonal. There's always that holiday influx. And if it's not uh, around the, the the Christmas, Hanukkah, end of year holidays, there's usually those, those peaks that you have a lot coming in and then those lulls as well. Mm-hmm. So how, what should brands be looking for in their, their contact center partner? And, and let's assume that the 101 is taking care of that the partner themselves are, are pretty good. They're not stuck in the 1980s kind of <laughs> khakis and cubicles, uh, headsets. What should they be looking for? Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. I mean, my thought is that the best partner for your business is one that is truly excited about your business as a business and the opportunity it presents. If you're going to be one of 50 clients for this company or a couple hundred clients for this company, you want to be in the upper 10% of the clients that they're going to go above and beyond for because your, your business is their core competency. I would look for the partner where your core need is their core competency. You don't want to be an e-com brand working with a, with a vendor that really specializes in like 
know, health tech or something like that. And so, you know, a simple way to look at that is sales process. Are they like legit interested in you and your business? And do they know about your products? Are they, does the value prop of your products resonate? Or are they just like enthusiastic, like salespeople gen- generally tend to be? Um, and do they work with companies like yours? Because if they work with a large number of companies like yours, it would mean that they tend to do a really good job for companies like yours. So yeah, just just mm-hmm. find that match where their core competency is is your core need. And then also, last thing is just that I'd be curious to know as a business owner, what is it that this company is optimizing for? I think in the contact center space, a lot of partners charge by seat and want to make sure that their revenue increases year over year, and therefore they want their agent count to be increasing year over year as well. I think that the best partners instead are trying to make sure you have really happy customers and that they're helped really efficiently. So like some some things you could ask them is, how can you help me decrease my ticket volume month over month? Because mm-hmm. if they have programs that decrease your ticket volume, that means that they have programs that will likely decrease their revenue for the broader health of your company. And I think that that's a really good sign that they're optimizing for super long-term value, long-term partnerships, and your best interest. Mm-hmm. And that's such a, a small but but key nugget. That's that's definitely a tweetable of look for a contact center partner who helps you reduce the total number of tickets because the best ticket is one that you don't have to answer. If yeah. a customer can figure out the answer on their own, or let's say you as part of your onboarding, send a follow-up, either email or SMS, and it helps them solve some common problems to the question. Um, and I know that that Unbound does a phenomenal job of this. Of They have a return sheet where basically you can just like click a few, like check a few boxes, make it really easy. If the item's getting returned anyway, you don't need to spend an, another person's time that you're paying for to have someone help out and assist with that. And I talked to, to Dan about it. Of He said that he knows that Unbound is selling a premium product. And for a premium project, it has to be, be returnable. You can't spend 300, 400 bucks on a couple of clothing items and then you're stuck with it. There is nothing worse. You have to really demystify that risk or even what's your return policy? Common question that you can have 30 day returns of the tag or still on, on the product display page itself. Now you, you touched on it a little bit, but are there any other red flags that that brand should be considering? I know that you mentioned making sure that they're in your industry, making sure that they're focused on, on helping you out. If you were maybe from stuff that you've heard of people who went to competitors and then, and then came to you or stuff that you've heard from the grapevine, what would be some red flags where if I'm evaluating a contact center, what should I really be on the lookout for? I think that there's like, there's just so many good vendors out there. One thing that I would look for as, as a business is, is are the contractual obligations serving me as the client or serving the the vendor? I think especially in the contact yeah. center space, you'll run into things like minimum team sizes or contract duration of a year or two years. Does an annual contract make the service better for me as a business owner or is it just preserving the value for the vendor? I would look for contracts that really fit my business needs. Is it flexible? Is it super scalable? Does it protect me and my business and my customers? 
Yeah, I think that makes makes a lot of sense. The the contract piece is a big one that that I wasn't even considering. But imagine, you know, December twenty nineteen, you sign a two year contract for <laughs> for the upcoming couple of years. Right. Thing, things change fast. So let's take it home here and really focus on what brands should keep in house because I think that there's a bit of a misconception that oh yeah, I just hired I hired work now I don't have to worry about customer service at all. They're they're taken care of. But anyone who's been around the block knows, and we were talking about this in the green room, the best case scenario isn't always how it is day to day. And when you've, you outsource anything, you're not outsourcing 100%. You still have some skin in the game. So what should you keep in-house? I think it's important to keep in-house a relentless focus on your customer. And I think it's important to note that that goal is not in conflict with outsourcing. Oftentimes, especially early Mm -hmm. stage founders would would think, well, I'm never going to outsource support because customer communication is the most important thing to me. And the thing is, is that that is 100% true, but you need to be finding ways to get leverage in that effort where rather than spending your time going through the same type of ticket over and over again, and then suddenly you have like Mm -hmm. brain numbness to that as a problem. If you have get some help with it, you can then take a proactive anthropological approach to it, a product approach to it, and look at the trends, look at the insights, and and take a more holistic view rather than spending all of your precious brain time just executing. And I think that that same theme makes sense at any stage of business. Getting help with the 101 so that you can focus on the true customer experience makes sense at any phase, whether it's you're doing the tickets or whether you're doing hundreds of millions in revenue a year and don't want to spend all your time or your organization's time hiring, scheduling, training, etc. The right support partner enables a closer connection to the customer rather than takes it out. So yeah, that's what I'd say. No, I, I love that. And that's coming up on time too. So you you wrapped it up at at 20 minutes on the nose. Nathan, I know people can find you at work.com. Is it, is it two hours or three hours in work? (laughs) It's two. It was late at night when we named the company. Sometimes you just got to pick a name and roll with it. Hey, if the domain's available, just just go with it. Um, I know I've definitely picked a, more than one business that way. So wrk.com. Where else can people find you if they're are you active on social? I know that we're we've got another DTCX event coming up. Maybe we'll, you, you'll be giving a talk there. If people do want to get in touch, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Nathan? Yeah, start at work.com. Um, shoot me an email. But um, yeah, let's keep it there. Awesome. So make sure you subscribe. We've got a ton of great content coming down the pipe. The next DTCX event is in March. A couple live events in New York and LA as well. We're going to have to do one in Austin. I'll bring the meat. You can bring the heat. We'll see you there and we'll see you in the DTCX community. Hey. Hope you enjoyed this technically speaking video part of exceptional e-commerce. There's a few other videos here, here, maybe here, here. I don't know how they set it up. So go click them, watch something, learn something new, maybe prevent a lesson and make sure you hit the subscribe button.